What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, host of the What to Know podcast show and CMO of W2O. And today I am, uh, we're going to do a fun four-way podcast recording with three of my colleagues. I'm going to introduce them first so you know who's speaking. Uh, dialing in, unfortunately from New York, we wish she was here with us. We have Abby Hayes, who's a managing director out of our New York office. Hello, Abby. Hi there, Aaron. How are you? Good. And then here in San Francisco, we have uh, Jen Shaughnessy, who's a managing director. Hello, Jen. Hi. Thanks so much for having us on. Thank you for joining us. And last but not least, we have Brooke Bullen, who is a group director here in San Francisco. Hi, Aaron. So excited to be here. Well, I am too. And uh, I have to give credit to the three of you because... Uh, and I think Angela Gillespie may have had a hand in this as well. The three of you recently attended a very cool event. I'm a little jealous that I didn't get to go. Maybe next year I will. But it's called Women in the Workplace. It's put on by the Wall Street Journal. And this was the fifth annual event. It's in San Francisco. And uh, I'm just reading this because this is the premise, and this way I won't butcher it. But uh, it's the Wall Street Journal Women in the Workplace uh, event that brings together business leaders in order to have a real conversation about how managers, executives, and companies can be better at building inclusive workplaces. Some nice uh, alliteration there, I'm a big fan. And uh, the three of you attended, and one of the cool things that it mentioned is is that not only did you have a full day of activities, but also um, this person named Sheryl Sandberg, which I think probably some people have heard of, the COO of Facebook and also the leader of LeanIn and um, uh, LeanIn.org, and she's written a book. Uh, and then also McKinsey, uh, Kevin Sneeder was there, and they discussed the results of their landmark 2019 study. Uh, I'm going to just make a couple of high-level notes about this, and then we're going to jump in and talk about some of the highlights that the three of you so diligently documented, and we'll include probably more of those in the blog post, because I know we want to be respectful of your time and everyone else's. So I think one of the punchlines was the fact that, and this probably won't surprise people, that despite near parity in entry-level numbers, this is sort of across, I think, 250,000 people that they surveyed, women are outnumbered almost two to one by men in first-level manager jobs that are bridges to senior roles. And this is um, juxtaposed against a near parity in entry level. So men and women come in at an equal number, and then when we get to that sort of next level that's the bridge to senior management, it's now two to one, which is really kind of pathetic. I think there's some reasons for that, not to say that they're good reasons. I know that the three of you will cover some of those. I do want to touch on a couple of the highlights from the survey that we talked about, and this is a survey that's done by the McKinsey & Company. It's been, it's been highlighted for the, or, uh, conducted for the last five years. And then I will turn it over to you. So some bright spots and not so bright spots, one of which was the representation of women at the C-suite has gone up 24% since they first fielded this uh, several years back. Uh, 5% dip in representation of women at the manager level, not good. 5% dip in represent, representation of women of color. We're going to hear from Abby about that in a second. Uh, on the positive, a 13% uh, percentage point increase in companies' commitment to gender diversity. I think that shows people are becoming more aware. An 18% increase in senior leaders' accountability. Uh, an 8% sponsorship of women, increase in sponsorship of women. And then a couple uh, more highlights. So flexibility to work from home, 30 percentage points. That's a general trend that a lot of people, including W2O, are embracing. 
And then employees and dual career couples, 8%. So I think with you know how expensive it is to live in places like New York and San Francisco, we know that in spades. Um, I did promise, Abby, let's talk a little bit about that fact that one of the more disappointing things is the representation of women of color in the workplace. And you were kind enough to send me an article from the Wall Street Journal in advance that talks about sort of the visibility of women of color as a woman of color uh, on this call. You know, talk a little bit about A, why that's so frustrating, and B, I'm sure you have some personal anecdotes to share. Sure, Aaron, happy to. Um, I mean, I think, like you said, I mean, the survey did show that there are some bright spots, but one of the key um, areas of improvement that persists that is um, a true need when it comes to women of color is um, underrepresentation. And that underrepresentation, like you said, is truly tied to challenges around being seen. I mean, we've heard a lot in the vernacular now about the importance of being able to take up space and have a seat at the table. But all too often, women of color kind of walk into work situations where, you know, they face that, you know, not only just bias by virtue of being female, but also being, you know, someone of color, be it black or brown. And a lot of that um, has to do with, you know, just stereotypes that exist, right? And the fact that, you know, I can tell you growing up, I've always been told I have to be twice as good and work twice as hard to even be considered on par with everybody else. Because all too often we feel as if our competence and judgment is questioned and that we're under a microscope. Um, we also oftentimes are mistaken for someone who's a lot more junior than we are. I'll share an anecdote with you. Um, I once was leading a new business pitch and went in to um, meet a colleague who thought I was actually the administrative assistant who was meant to serve coffee. Um, you know, there's a lot of assumptions that are made in terms of the role that women of color have. In the, corporate, in the corporate workplace. And I think that there's a lot of work that we need to do to make sure that it's truly a fair and level playing field. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And I'm sorry that you had that experience and probably have had that experience more times than anyone should ever have had that experience. I think you're gonna hear probably more of this as we go through this. And I guess, you know, just along those lines, Jen and Brooke, as women, I'm sure you probably have experienced a little bit of that same, I have to work twice as hard to get the same kind of recognition you know, any anecdotes or anything that you want to share, then we will jump into some of the key takeaways from that, the actual event. Yeah, I was just going to, this is Brooke, I was going to add on what Abby said. Um, a lot of the discussion at the meeting, which was fantastically run, was around women in color and, and ensuring that there's um, equal uh, inclusion and consideration um, for you know, no matter your color, no matter if you're a woman or a, a male, you know, you're really, um, your work is really based on the quality and, you know, uh, who you, you know, who you are, not, not your gender or your race. But one thing that really stood out for me, um, as Abby was talking to, is I remembered that um, one of the panelists said that women of color are more so seen actually stepping out of the corporate workforce and becoming entrepreneurs because they are, you know, facing what Abby faced. And um, we're seeing more and more that they're starting their own businesses because they just aren't getting where they want to be. And they're feeling that pressure of, you know, um, discrimination in the workforce, um, especially corporate America. So, Abby, I know that uh, we were talking about that, at, you know, at the actual event, but uh, curious and, you know, your thoughts on that as well, because I thought that, that was a really interesting um, finding. 
And I'll preface that by saying, Abby, please don't leave us because we really we can appreciate you. So we'll support you someday if you want to start your own business, but not, hold off for a little bit, please. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm 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 not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> Jenna, do you have any additional thoughts? Yeah, I just think you know, building off of what Abby and, and Brooke have said. What struck me most about the conversations kind of around women of color and the hurdle that we need to kind of overcome is that it seems that the gender gap is, you know, coming closer together, which is great. Um, but I think the consensus was that the challenge, particularly for women of color, but people of color, is going to be even a little bit more difficult to tackle. Whereas I think we've seen great strides and, and big number jumps um, kind of for females and female parity. I think it's going to take a consensus really um it's going to take people out of their comfort zones to try to bring kind of that gap and that the color gap if we want to call it that um to get closer to where it should be yeah and i i had the luxury of interviewing a gentleman named dr michael lomax who is the ceo of the united negro college fund a few weeks back and one of the questions we asked him i did this on the heels of him being interviewed by arthur shaw of the homes report and i said how do we do a better job? Like, are there models we can look at? And he pointed to me, he said, look, you know, and I, I asked him, I said, I'm one that's willing to learn. He said, it starts with you. Make different decisions. You're in control. Tell your recruiter that you want to see, you know, if you're recruiting for a position, three men and three women. And if you want diversity in there, make sure that three of them are, you know, African-American or Asian or Indian or whatever it is. And, and I should be conscious of this because Abby and I have had this conversation. I shouldn't say African-American because Abby <laughs> is a woman of color, but actually is not uh, American, right? She was <laughs> Canadian via the islands. And, and so she, yes. <laughs> but it was interesting because it is one of those, uh, sometimes it's easy to sit back and, you know, throw up your hands and say, well, I wish someone would fix it. And part of his message was you fix it. You're the one that can be in control of this. And, I know that's not everybody that can do this. I think all three of us or all four of us have some responsibility because we are more senior within the organization to do that. But that was a powerful message. But it's not about me. It's about you all and sharing all these uh, words of wisdom. So Abby, why don't we start with you? Um, maybe a couple of key takeaways that you had that really spoke to you from the conference. I mean, I think one, one of the things that really struck me, um, and it came from Valerie Jarrett, was really the importance of using your voice. Um, you know, we all talk about the importance of having advocates and, and, and having advocates in the workplace are important. But I think finding and using your voice, I think it's key because if you don't speak up or don't speak to your own story, others won't understand it. Um, but, and I also think using your voice really, tr you know, helps to kind of facilitate those honest conversations that need to be had. Um, Minda Hart, who was one of the speakers, and she's the author of the memo, talked a lot about the importance of having safe spaces for those conversations so that we can not only share experiences, but most importantly, create a sense of belonging. And I think those are some like critical steps that I think everyone should take into consideration to try to kind of build consensus and close that gap. Can I push on you a little bit? Because I, I like the recommendation of, you know, finding and using your voice. You have always struck me as someone from the day I met you, Abby, that is extremely confident, but in a very gentle and positive way. 
What about someone that doesn't feel that level of confidence? I think you've, you've really taken that to heart and built that up over the years. You know, what advice would you give to someone that maybe hasn't found their voice or doesn't know how to use their voice just yet? I mean, I think it, it's really finding those mentors and surrogates to lift you up, right? Because if you don't have people to lift you up, you're not going to be able to thrive or rise. And I will tell you that I've gotten to where I am because of people who were willing to be in my corner and willing to be my, my, my surrogates. I mean, and that was also one of the takeaways um, from the conference. because They talked a lot about mentors and sponsors. And, you know, it's like having your squad and your success partners, I think, really, truly help you become, the, you know, the person that you want to be. Well, great insights. And again, you clearly have done a good job with that. Jen, uh, let's, let's hear some of your highlights from the event. Well, I totally agree. I think, you know, Valerie Jarrett and um, Major General Jeannie Levitt were my two favorites. Mm -hmm. And um, I think building on what what Abby said, the mentor and advocate was something that um, Valerie really pushed on. And not only was it she had people in her corner like we all have who advocated for us, who gave us opportunity, who coached us maybe when we needed a little extra help to get where we needed to go, but then passing that on. So we've all benefited from that experience. It's critical now that we mentor other people. We go out of our way to find opportunities to help other people that are growing in their careers. Because um, sometimes, you know, remembering back to being early, early days, it's hard to ask for help sometimes. You don't exactly know what to even ask for. So. Mm -hmm you know, doing our best to proactively find those moments to help people, I think is, is a huge piece. Um, the other thing I loved about um, Major General, which just, you know, so. And just to be clear, because I think this is an important point that you haven't completely completed the loop on is she was the first woman fighter pilot yes. in the Army, which is in the Air Force, yeah. yeah, not an insignificant deal. But I think you all, as we were prepping for this, had a lot of complimentary sort of adjectives for her, right? That she was, you know, warm and poised and friendly, but, you know, firm and obviously exuded a lot of great leadership skills. And that really stuck with me as you all were telling me about her and made me feel like, oh, maybe I'll have to get her on the podcast sometime. <laughs> we absolutely should. We yeah. all basically fell in love with her and she made me think maybe I should have picked a different career path and became a fighter pilot. I mean, she was just <laughs> incredible. I think what I loved most about her was this positive attitude. She talked about grit, um, determination, and this happy persistence, which I just, that is going to be my new mantra because she faced a lot of adversity. Even when she talks about that experience and some of the prejudice that she had, you know, the only female walking into a squadron where things have been done a certain way, she didn't complain about it. She didn't talk poorly about it. It was this, I think she took advantage of the folks that gave her an opportunity and then did her best to just every day show that she deserved to be there. Mm -hmm. um, so I love that kind of humble attitude that she had. And I think that's something that just, wow. Well, Brooke, you mentioned um, in yours that a couple of the quotes you liked the best from uh, Ms. Levitt, right? Or it was Major, what was it? Major, Major General. General, Major General Levitt. Uh, the airplane does not care if you're male or female. And then the one I really liked was fathers of daughters were the first to support me. They didn't want someone telling their daughter no. Yes, that was a tear-jerking moment for sure because I just had a daughter and I was thinking about my husband and he would say the exact same thing. Um, Actually, before you go on, so let's talk about that. Knowing what you know, and especially on the heels of going to this momentous event, you know, what conversations do you and your husband have about this in terms of, you know, raising your daughter so that she is feeling like 
is no disadvantage. There are no glass ceilings. She can do whatever she wants to do. I mean, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I mean, giving her the confidence to know that she can do whatever she puts her mind to. I mean, that's what my dad always told me. Um, The world is your oyster. You know, work hard, be nice to people. I think that that is something that um, Major General definitely reinforced for me as well. And, um, you know, beyond that, what that quote that you said, the airplane doesn't care if you're male or female. I think that that is such a resonating um, theme that can be carried through anything in life, really. I mean, the workplace shouldn't care if you're male or female. It's the work you produce and your attitude and how you treat other people is really what's most important. And I think that that really aligns with her life um, mantra as well, just to work hard, stay focused on what you want, and you can achieve your goals. So, you know, my daughter is uh, almost 10 months, so having those deep talks right now aren't really uh, <laughs> aren't really uh, resonating with her, but definitely um, want to continue to, to Abby's point, you know, raise a woman of confidence, just knowing that there's no limitations to what you, the only limitations you put on are, the, the only limitations you have are the ones you put on yourself, and um, I think that that, you know, is a really heartfelt message. Well, you touched on something really important though, Brooke, and that is confidence. And there are a lot of studies that are done that say, and I have a 20 year old daughter, almost 18 year old son and a 12 year old daughter, that girls, unfortunately, end up starting the world, starting the world more confident and then lose their confidence, particularly as they get into middle school. They start to become self-aware and realize the societal pressure that maybe they aren't as good or maybe they shouldn't be doing some of these, quote, boy things. So I think there is a true value to demonstrating, you know, instilling that confidence. And I bring this back to the workplace where I think that's something we all can do is instilling confidence in your colleagues and your, you know, your direct reports because it does all make a difference and making sure that they do know that, look, you've got this, you know, you're, you're probably as smart, if not smarter than, some of your colleagues and go out and own this, right? Right. And I think too, you know, we've talked a lot about mentorship and that one-on-one person connection to have, you know, to seek out those people who can really help guide you and really enable you to have that wind beneath your wings. But importantly, from the event specifically that I really found interesting was it wasn't just about people talking about you know, the panelists talking about their experiences and what they've seen in the industry, but there were a lot of breakout sessions that were really interesting around uh, advice given, to, you know, that can be applied to any type of worker around how to be better at your job, how to really have tough conversations to move, be, to be able to move up. I know that we were talking about how that middle manager position was two to one with men. How can women be um, more confident with these tools to ensure that they're having the conversations that they want to have to propel their careers? How do you ask for help in an environment that you might not feel as comfortable doing and um, might not have that open relationship with your manager? How do you break that wall to just have to make those steps every day? Um, And also, how do you give to others? How do you make sure that you're um, being that example of confidence so that someone else who's growing in their career really has someone to look up to? And I think that that was really what stood out to me at this event was, you know, it's very empowering to have all these women together. But at the end of the day, what are some concrete tools that we can use and take home with us to ensure that 
you know, the awareness building is growing, but what can we really do to teach people about how to make change and how, you know, how to, how to bring in partners, how to um, work with your mentors and managers to elevate your own, you know, career, career growth. Well, those are great takeaways. Thank you for sharing those. One of the things that I know that a few of you noted in your notes, uh, diversity and inclusion is two parts, right? So there's the diversity piece and inclusion is really multifaceted. There have been a number of studies and a number of data points, including some that we've done on this relevance uh, index that shows that diversity in the workplace isn't just a good thing to do, but it actually can benefit you economically and helps you come to better decisions. Abby, you had a good point that you made on achieving racial parity in the workplace, and I won't steal your thunder on this, but maybe you could talk a little bit about the need for building strong networks, because I've heard this a number of times from a number of people that I really respect and trust. So, I mean, the, and the way I think of establishing networks, it's not only networks amongst your, um, you know, ethnic or cultural group, but it's also networks across gender, across levels, and even across industries, because, I mean, there's so much more that we can accomplish together versus doing it separately. And there's a lot that we can also learn from one another. Um, so... I mean, I would, I'm a huge proponent of reverse mentoring, reverse sponsorship, because through those mechanisms, everyone else succeeds. Um, you know, they're also, those networks are also useful in getting the help that we want, be it, you know, solving a career problem, be it looking at a different position, um, be it looking at problems in different ways. Um, there's just so many different opportunities and relationships that could be leveraged to really truly succeed in the workplace. Um, and I think it's really looking at a mosaic of people that you can tap into. So thank you for that. Um, Jen, you had some good points too that you took down. And, and the first one talked a little bit about diversity is a war fighting imperative. Talk a little bit more about that quote and, and sort of how that spoke to you. Yeah, that came from Major General. Um, and what I thought was so interesting is that she says you're tackling a problem, whether it's a life or death situation or something in business. If you have a room full of people who think the exact same way, you're going to reach the exact same conclusion. And so although you're all in consensus, that may not be the right answer. It's probably not the right answer. So that diversity of thinking, that diversity of perspective and experience, that's critical to you know, saving lives, but, you know, in our day-to-day -day life, making sure that we're making the right decisions and that we're taking into account a lot of different perspectives. Um, so it can only make us better. That diversity makes us stronger. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's an important point. I have a good friend. Uh, she runs her own business and she actually staffs it exclusively with people of color. And she did something pretty clever recently. And her, late, her name is Laura Mignot. She uh, has created something called the Color Board, and really it's basically like a board for hire that companies can bring in, and it's people across the spectrum of you know, race, color, um, sexual orientation, you know, the whole like. And one of the things she put together in her deck that I thought was really smart is a series of brands making missteps on things that they did, and her point in it was, if you asked someone that looked like your audience, is this a good idea or not to put this out into the world? They could counsel you and say, that might be a little of a red, bit of a red flag or like, no, that's a horrible idea. And I think that speaks to what you're saying, Jen, is that sometimes we, we think we can put things out into the world. And if we're all, you know, white and, you know, 40 years old or 30 years old or whatever it is and somewhat homogenous, then unless we're selling to people that look and sound and feel exactly like us, then we're doomed to fail. And 
we're short-circuiting ourselves in terms of innovation and you know what is possible in that world. Yeah, and that actually brings a great point from an age perspective, because I think a lot of times, you know, you've got the the senior leaders are typically older, have all, you know, decades of experience, you've got this younger workforce. It's really important that we're mixing and matching, you know, kind of age as well in there because the perspectives, technology, just, you know, everything as it's evolving so quickly, um, you know, having people that remember what it was like to have to fax things out and <laughs> that dial up sound, um, but then, Paired with today and all the new apps and, and all of that, I think that's a really critical piece as well. Yeah, I know some companies are doing reverse mentoring, which I think is a brilliant idea. So younger folks that are more technology savvy or understand sort of the landscape from a media perspective or consumer trends are helping to mentor older executives or older employees. And I think that totally makes sense. Um, I know we do want to wrap this up because we want to get to some mic drop moments and then the signature deserted island question that you're all you know, waiting for with bated breath. And I say that with tongue in cheek. Uh, tough conversations. You had a note about tough conversations, Brooke, and I, that really struck me. And I think that's worth sharing with the, the listeners. Absolutely. So Jen and I actually participated in a breakout session around how best to navigate tough conversations. For example, if you feel like you are... Uh, ready for a promotion. How do you talk to your manager about that? And surprisingly, um, you know, the the folks who were leading the session said that 70% of employees are avoiding tough conversations. So um, we really walked through a few key steps to help overcome that fear of having a tough conversation. Now, I gave the example of a promotion, but a tough conversation could also be, a, you know, if you're working with an employee who's giving you attitude or not giving you the same respect as others, which, you know, women often do experience that in the workplace, um, how do you uh, break those barriers? So a few key steps that they um, shared with us were really, you know, mapping out the ask in advance, you know, rehearsing it to yourself, being comfortable with what your sound bites are going to be, um, understanding your audience, where they're coming from. Uh, perhaps someone is difficult to work with and it's not a personal vendetta against you. Maybe understanding where they're coming from and having an open dialogue. Um, channeling your emotions. So really sticking to the facts and making sure that when you come to the table, you know, um, wanting to talk about something that might be uncomfortable, you know, keeping your emotions at bay and really keeping it professional and um, preparing yourself, like I said in the earlier point, to have those key message points that you want to uh, really make sure come across to the other person. And then embracing the positive was the last uh, takeaway, um, you know, making sure that you're flexible. Obviously, the half the battle is having the conversation and then, you know, being open to what the, uh, what the answer might be in return. So, you know, I think that that was really... Um, it really stuck with me only because, you know, not just as a woman, but just um, hopefully other people can really take that away and, and apply it to everyday situations, too, in the workforce or not. And we're, deal we're dealing with difficult conversations, you know, on a daily basis. So it was really helpful for me to kind of understand that, you know, taking a step back, what are some key well, I have to say I have a six-person, and they are all women, marketing team. And I think all of them must have at some point in time in their life sat through that session because they are not afraid to have tough conversations right. with me. And I will tell you, you know, a lot of times they're around promotions or salary right. or workload. And I tell them every single time, like, I am so happy that you are willing to do this with me because sometimes I don't know. Right. Sometimes, I, to be honest, I don't want to have those conversations, but I always right. appreciate that. Versus letting it fester. And yeah. a lot of times I think what happens is if you don't have the conversations, the tough conversations, 
those people get turned off and walk out the door. Yes. And they never even give you the chance. So that's right. the thing that I say is it's important to do it because first of all, you're probably going to get a lot more than you normally would. And second of all, you know, if I'm not aware that person that they're, you know, talking to is not aware, then how can they fix the problem? Right. right. And that's what my mentors had always told me too. You know, it never hurts to ask. And then, you know, your manager might say, wow, like this person's really taking charge of their career by even coming to the table and having this conversation with me that maybe down the line they'll consider, you know, when they're thinking about that raise or promotion and, and who they're actually thinking about it for. It's like, you know, Brooke was the one that came to the table and really, you know, confidently said, I deserve this versus others who, you know, maybe aren't saying anything and aren't coming across as, you know, right. wanting to steer their. Right. No, I totally agree. Um, so just in the spirit of making sure we're clear that we're not going to literally mic drop because that will be heard <laughs> on our listeners ears. That means that Abby would actually have to drop her computer on that ground. Um, <laughs> we have a clever recommendation in terms of how we wrap up the serious portion of the, the session, which are your mic drop moments. And Abby, I'm going to let you jump in with your mic drop moment to start us off. Sure thing. And I, I promise I won't drop the computer. Um, so, I mean, for me, the, the one of the mic drops was really around driving change, right? And in order to do that, we have to make sure that we make a conscious decision to put people of color, LGBTQ, and non-conforming individuals at the center of all of our conversations. Because if we're not there, we can't facilitate change. I like that. That's uh, great words of wisdom, Jen. So I'm going to take something from Valerie Jarrett, who um, was talking about when President Obama came into office, he had brought, you know, some of the best and brightest around the country. Um, so how do you take a group of high performers to create an aligned team? So he said, I have the best players on the field. How do you turn them into the best team? And I think that was for me, a mic drop moment for everything, for all of the teams, for clients that we work with, for people that we're kind of pairing with in our real day-to-day -day lives. Um, how do we make everyone feel like an aligned team? So that goes back to what Abby was talking about, about inclusion. How do we include people so they feel valued, um, whatever their gender or race or orientation, um, and make sure that everyone feels that they have a place at the table and that they are part of a team and we have each other's backs. So for me, that's something I wanna make sure all of our teams feel. Well, it's a great one. I know our CEO, Jim Weiss, often talks about the Warriors and how well they've done, and ironically, the Warriors and the Celtics, who I'm going to bring up as an example, are playing tonight. And making this really quick, but to really drive this home, there was a player on the team called uh, Kyrie Irving, right? Probably many people have heard of him. He's mm -hmm. one of the 10 best players in the league. He was on the team for a couple of years, and the first year he did well, and the team did pretty well, although he got injured going into the playoffs, and the team ended up going to the Eastern Conference Finals. And a lot of the rookies, a lot of the young guys were playing, and they did way better than anyone expected before losing in Game 7 to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Kyrie last year turned out to be a little bit of a cancer to the team, and the team underachieved even though people thought they were going to go all the way. Well, fast forward, he is now on the Nets. The Celtics brought in a guy named Kemba Walker, who's a pretty good player. They're off to an eight and one start. And you can so clearly see that they are a team and that they enjoy playing with each other. And that Kemba, when the younger guys make mistakes, he's not like calling him out on it. He's like, hey, that's totally cool. It's all good. And it just makes such a difference when you have that high performance, right? You can have five people that are really good, maybe not great, but they do better than five great people who aren't actually cooperating. So sorry to have to interject that, but it is timely and it just is such an embodiment of what you're talking about, Jen. Yeah, absolutely. 
And then last but not least, Brooke. I have, I have two mic drop moments. One being um, that when I was on site at the event, one of the Wall Street Journal uh, videographers actually stopped me and asked me a few questions. And one of his questions was, why is this event so important today? And to me, I thought, it is super important today. Everyone is more, you know, as you said earlier, Aaron, there's a 13% increase awareness um, around inc diversity inclusion in the workplace. Um, but it's always been important, I think. And we're all coming together as women and as a community and also men involved too. Men are important to change to ensure that that number of awareness goes up. And it's not just about putting in women and to meet a quota to say that we have 60% women, it's really making sure that we give women and, um, you know, everyone that we work for the right tools to be able to grow and to feel supported and to feel confident in the work that they do every day. So while that is one of my uh, takeaways, that there's never been a better time to invest in women, to partner with women, to, to bring them up and to build them up in the in the uh, workforce. But my other work, uh, my other mic drop moment would be from Major General Levitt, and she said, uh, "Wear people down with a smile and never give up," and to have that grit factor, and that really resonated with me. And I hope that that resonates with others listening. That um, you know, don't give up, fight for your goals, and, and make it happen. I like that, and I think the three of you perfectly sort of represent that because you are three of the smartest, most charming people, but you have that nice countenance, but you're also hard chargers. We're like, I don't want to be on the wrong side of you telling me, like, no, that's not the way it's going to go down. So um, people will appreciate that. So now we get to the slightly lighter side of it, and I know that I swung this on you all right before we get started, but I gave you at least 30 minutes to think about it. I do like to ask all of my what-to-know guests you're on a deserted island. You can take one album with you. Which would you pick and why? And I like to do it not because we necessarily care about the album, but more the thought process that goes into it. It helps our listeners get to know us a little bit better. So, Abby, with that, I will start with you. Okay, this was a really tricky one because for people who know me well, I love music and my nickname is DJ Abby. I'm known for making playlists for people. Um, so... I think I narrowed it down to one, Erin, that I think kind of covers the bases in terms of an album that I think not only has mass appeal, but has such a range of different tracks on it. It has songs that are soaring and anthemic and others that are very like melancholy and also melodic. So that album is A Rush of Blood to the Head by Coldplay. Ooh, good choice. Not what I was expecting from you. And I love the fact that you used the word anthemic. That's definitely a 50-cent word. Uh, Brooke, how about you? Oh, gosh. I'm, I'm very cliche here, but if I'm on an island, it would probably be um, Jack Johnson or Bob Marley. Uh, but also, there's a really good playlist on Spotify called Tropical House, which is very dancey and fun and very... Um, tropical island feel so i would get my dance on but then also you know get some jack johnson smooth vibes there i appreciate that i appreciate the fact that you did honor the request but you snuck in the spotify yes. playlist at the end <laughs> all right bring us home jen Shaughnessy. so i would say journey's greatest hits mm -hmm. so i don't know if that makes me seem cooler than i am or more cliche than i am but i mean journey is a classic you've got the power ballads but then also some really good dance music. So I need a little bit of dance yeah. in my life. 
Well, it's also an excellent choice. And I will tell you, normally, I caveat no greatest hits, but because I sprang this on you last minute, I will allow it. So you get a little bit of reprieve. And I do have a very soft spot in my heart for Journey. I remember listening to, I think it was Escape back in the day, over and over and over again. So um, excellent choices. And uh, this has been a fun conversation, a very important conversation with three incredibly smart, uh, driven, and uh, caring women. So we've had Abby Hayes in New York, who's, as I mentioned, a managing director. Uh, Jen Shaughnessy, also a managing director. And Brooke Bolin, group director here in San Francisco. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of the What's Know podcast, CMO of WTO, host of the What's Know podcast. Thank, thank you to the three of you for taking the time to do this. Thank you. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know.